If you're just joining us, we are in the fourth week of a series called On the Ten Commandments, taking one commandment a week. We'll take a break next week and be in John. So we look at Jesus as the light of the world, but we are here on the fourth commandment this morning. The Ten Commandments. I wonder if you know all ten already. Well, I hope you know the first three. And the first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. The second one, you shall not make any graven or carved images and to worship. Because I'm a jealous God, he says. And last week we saw, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There, there's a great, I wonder if you did or not, but there is a great old catechism. In fact, it was written so long ago, I mean, 1563, it's called the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a beautiful way of talking about biblical truth through questions and answers and teaching young people and new to the faith. And in this question comes up, I think it's number 90 or 100, 99 or 100, and it was this. What, how is the Ten Commandments divided? And I want, I want you to start by thinking about this. How are the Ten Commandments divided? This is the answer. Into two tables. The first of the two tables, think, think tables instead of tables, think tablets. Think of Moses coming down and he's got two tablets. The two tablets of stone. On one tablet, there's the first half and the, the second half. The first of the tablets teaches us how we are to be what duties we owe to our neighbor. Remember what Jesus said when asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And he said, the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And really, this is the summing of all the law and the prophets. And I guess we could say the two tables, the two tablets of the Ten Commandments could be divided on tablet one, Love God. Tablet two, love your neighbor. We've been going at love God. In fact, we would say that tablet one is absolutely necessary for tablet two. You cannot love your neighbor, your wife or your children or literally your neighbor. You cannot keep all those other commandments in the way that God intends for you to do unless you love God with everything. Now, they're not equally divided. The first four commandments make up the fourth table one, and then the last six tablets, or the last six commandments, take up table two. And so today we finish with the fourth and final of the first table. And though, and, and, I, and they all interrelate and they all work together. Remember, we saw number one, we shall have no other gods. You are to worship God and God alone exclusively and shun all other idols and look to Christ exclusively. He is the one we worship and worship alone. And then two, and number, commandment number two, and not making grave images. None of us are struggling with making an idol this week that you'll actually build and bow down to and literally worship like they did 2,000 years ago or even 500 years ago or in some places of the world. But we learned that God cares not only that we worship Him alone, but we worship the correct God correctly. 
and we use this word and we listen to his book and we don't make images to be shortcuts of trying to worship God because when we do that, we just distort who God is. Last week, we saw that God is so holy and he has covenanted us to himself. We are his people and his name is so precious. He blesses us with his name. His name is righteous and holy and beautiful and it is our salvation. It is our life. And so we who have been called by him, we bear his name. So people that love God, the first table, table, they only worship God and they worship him the way he tells us to. And they worship him, oh, they revere his name, knowing that everywhere we go, we bear his name. So we keep, his, keep our word. We don't swear falsely. We don't, we don't use his name in profane and vulgar ways. And today we're going to see that we, well, we honor his, his day. We, we cut, look at the fourth commandment. It says, there's a commandment on the Sabbath. I grew up in a, in a large property in the middle of the woods in Dunbar, Wisconsin. Unless you've heard me talk about it, you probably have never heard of Dunbar, Wisconsin. And yet I enjoyed 500 acres rivers, fishing, swimming, hunting, playing, four-wheeling. But most of those things, not on Sunday. No swimming, no fishing or hunting. Why? That was grandpa's rules. It was his property. He, he gifted that property to a Christian camp in college. And though he loved to hunt more than anyone, if you really got, I mean, more than anyone, you think you love hunting? I dare you to think that you compared to my grandpa's hunting. I mean, but not on the Lord's day, not on Sunday. He loved fishing, but not on Sunday. Why? Well, he probably was taught it's the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, we don't do those things. We do other things, or we don't do a lot of things. He went to church. He enjoyed food. He rested, and he went to church again. And so did I. So was he right? Some of you have told me things like, I grew up in a culture where Sundays meant no fun, no enjoyment, no laughing, nothing that would make you smile. As a, as a farmer, never do work on Sunday on the farm because they knew the farmers that did work on Sunday and their crops were not as good as the crops that were not done on Sundays. That seems a little superstitious, but... Um, Maybe for you, Sunday was an extended Saturday. Sometimes church thrown in if it's convenient, but that's it. Let's get to the commandment. Let's, let's read it. I want to give you historical background of it, and I pray that we bring it into a New Testament, Christ-centered perspective for our day and age. Look at Exodus 28 through 11. Moses came down from the mountain and he read, he gave, this law was given on Mount Sinai for God's people, the Ten Commandments, the Ten, this is the moral law. Look, look at verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son 
for your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. And then he gives a reason. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I like what Kevin DeYoung writes. The fourth commandment is very tricky. I mean, you shall not commit adultery. It goes deeper than the surface, but it's not tricky. This one's trickier. Fourth commandment is tricky. It seems like most Christians are either oblivious to the Sabbath and treat it like Saturday. Or they advocate a strict what's used Sabbatarian, the word Sabbath, but like, oh man, that no fun, nothing, that tries hard to apply to Sunday the details of the law of Moses. The last thing I want to do is afflict you with a fourth commandment. You hear that? I don't want to afflict you. I want, I want to bless you because I believe God wants to bless us with the fourth commandment. Like he wants to bless us with all the other commandments. And I want to ask you this morning, do you think that this commandment is for us today? And if it is for us today, what does that mean? I mean, is places like Hobby Lobby or Chick-fil-A, are they fulfilling the fourth commandment by not being open on, the, on Sunday? And, but how does it apply to us, non-Jews, Christians in the New Testament, is it four and a half years here at this church, and you've never heard me refer to today as the Sabbath? By the way, today is the first day of the week, not the seventh day, and the Sabbath was the seventh day. It was Saturday. Um, so let me just give you a little setting here. Did you notice that it said, remember the Sabbath? As though everyone listening, well, there's two ways of taking it. One would be, remember, don't ever forget this. That's how I always thought about this until I dug deeper. And it's most likely saying, remember the Sabbath. You already know what I'm talking about because you've already been given this. You realize the Sabbath was not given at the Ten Commandments and they went, oh, this is a new day. We never knew about the seventh day. They had already been practicing that. Because four chapters earlier in chapter 16, when God gives them manna, remember manna in the wilderness and said, every day you're going to get up and there's going to be, there's going to be like this bread food that's out there provided for you in this wilderness. And I want you to learn. I want you to get it ingrained in your hearts that I am your keeper and I protect you and I'm going to provide for you. But, but on the sixth day, you gather twice as much. Don't gather twice as much on any other day, just on Saturday, on Friday, the sixth day, that's Friday. And then on, on the Sabbath, seventh day, you almost, they already told them to do that because they knew there was a Sabbath. Remember, you see, the Sabbath predated the giving of this law of the Ten Commandments. It was given in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, you read that the heavens and earth were finished and the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the Sabbath, set the seventh day, and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work he had done 
in creation. God worked six days, not because it needed to take six days and not because, and, but he worked six days for whatever reason, he reveals it in scripture. And on the seventh day, it was complete and he rested. He did not rest because he was tired. He rested because it was complete. And he gave this seventh day as a picture and as a gift to his human image bearers. You will rest on this day and you will make it holy. And it will remind you that I, the Lord your God, am your creator and that I take care of you. It is to be a joyful day where you rest rejoicing in the blessed. And the people now are slaves in Egypt, unlikely to even practice the rest that was to make the seventh day special and holy and to the Lord. They were unable, they were in bondage to slavery, but God appears to Moses and declares to him, I'm the covenant-keeping God of my people. They are my son. And I'm going to pull them out of the land of Egypt. I'm going to deliver them into the land of promise. And by doing that, I'm going to show to them that I am the Lord God Almighty. And I'm the Lord God Almighty that will provide and care and bring them into rest. And so in Exodus, we get the fourth commandment. Keep the Sabbath holy in verse 8. And it was a sign... For all to see that God made them, God created a new rest. He led them out of slavery and they rest. And so God is their keeper, just like the Psalm 121 says. He is our keeper and that he made us. He is our keeper and that he saved us. He redeemed us. He rescued us out of Egypt. And here's God's people with this commandment. God's people in God's place in the wilderness and then in the promised land under God's reign, and every seventh day, they would work, 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 rest. And in resting, remember God their Savior, God their keeper, God their provider. Sabbath keeping was a gift and a reminder of these things. Daddy, why do we do this, Dad? We do this every Friday night for the Sabbath. We call it the Sabbath. Why do we do this? Why does daddy, why do we read the, why do we gather together in the synagogues? Or why do we gather together and we hear the law and we say our prayers and we hear the rabbi or we hear others praying or calling out to God and blessing us? Why do we do that, dad? Son, God made us and he saved us and he called our forefathers into a covenant and us with him as we believe. And he has reminded us on the Sabbath day that we Rest in him, and he is our keeper. He is our maker. He is our savior. They were to worship and rest on that day, trusting God as maker, savior, and keeper. He is the Lord, their God. The Sabbath is given to God's people that they must observe with great care. I mean, they, they, because God wanted them to learn, to get it into their hearts, that just like in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, God was their maker. And yet they knew things were messed up because of sin. And they were looking to the day when God would remake them. And they, they would look back to Egypt. And their children, as they're getting ready for the Sabbath, would say, Dad, what does this mean? And you would say, God delivered our, our people from slavery and brought us into the land. And he showed us his word. And so someday we look to a time when he's going to save us from all our sins and restore all things. We work and we rest. We're redeemed people, slaves, but now free. It was meant to be a mark, an identifier, a weekly reminder of who they are. They are different. They are set apart people. 
and it was punishable with great violence and death. You, if you were to read in Exodus 31, among many places, God is ingraining this to them, and he says, you are to speak to the people and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout all your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I set you apart. You're going to be different. Oh, what are they doing? It's the Sabbath. They don't work. They're God's people. Six days shall be work, but in the seventh is a Sabbath of a solemn rest, holy to the Lord. It is a big deal, as you see. In fact, he says, those that everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. You'll keep my Sabbath and rest because I made you, saved you, and keep you. So they did this seven days. Six days they worked, and on the seventh they rested. And in many ways they were reminded all the time, week in, week out. This was the only calendar that in the Bible that we really see that it's clear. This is the calendar, the weekly church calendar was, or the Israel's calendar every week, seven days, seven days. The seventh was the Sabbath unto the Lord. Work six days, rest, gift from God. And he taught them this principle, a principle that went way deeper than just a week. They said, you're to work a field six years. The seventh, rest the field. It's good for it. 49 years and on the 50 is a year of jubilee. And it's where you will free those indentured or slaves unless they choose to be a bond slave for life. So Jesus is born 2,000 years ago. He's a Jew. He's a Jewish family. Grew up keeping the Sabbath. He came not to abolish the fourth commandment or all the other commandments, but to fulfill the commandments. He never, ever broke the fourth commandment. But if you read in the Gospels, let's just say the Gospel of Mark you do find that he challenges the way the fourth commandment by that time was being applied. I mean, by that time, they were applying it to say, if you, you can't work, so if you walk more than, say, let's just make a make-up number, 100 steps, you're working. And you can't do that because that's work, but you, you can do this, that's not work. And they knew that if their donkey or their mule was of necessity, can't let it die, that was part of the provision. So they were allowed for that. Jesus comes on the scene and the Pharisees and others, they see him and his disciples walking through a field on the Sabbath, plucking grain from the, the stalks of grain and they, for, their, for a meal. And they go, see, you're breaking the law, the law. And he says, that's not in the law. In fact, Jesus taught them a lesson and said, don't you realize that the, the, the Sabbath is not made for man, but man, or man is not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath is a gift for man. And I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And Jesus heals a withering hand, a man with palsy and dropsy. And he does other things. And he teaches them that the Sabbath is a day for mercy and love and grace. Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath, and he came to fulfill it. Then comes a day in Jesus' life that on the sixth day, Friday, he's crucified. And this Lord of the Sabbath bears the sins of his people. He became a curse according to the law. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 
He declares the words on that cross that Friday afternoon before the Sabbath begins. It is finished. Just like another creed we find in work and God rested. He completed the work. And like the creator in the garden who ceased from his labor, this other creator, the Savior, is laid to rest on the Sabbath. He's buried and he finished because he had finished his work of redemption. Then one. Day one, the first day of the week, Sunday, if you read John 20 or Luke 24 or Mark 16, all make the first day really important on the first day of the week. And on the first day of the week, on the eighth day or plus seven plus one, or we call the first day of the week, Jesus comes forth into a new creation, the first fruits of that new creation. And he changes everything. With no explanation, Christians begin a new type of rhythm. They begin meeting on the first day rather than the seventh day. And they call it the Lord's Day in Revelation 1.10. We find in Acts 27, 20 verse 7, in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 2, that it was on the first day of the week they gathered. The first day, it was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It was the day that a week later after that, he chose to gather and appear before all his disciples and show who he is and then gather them together. And so they began gathering on that first day like a Christian Sabbath. You see, if the Sabbath of Genesis... Creation and, and Exodus redemption meant a looking forward. They were always looking for something greater to happen. We got this, but we're still longing for something else. It was now all realized in Jesus. He had come. The Lord of the Sabbath had come. Our Lord had finished all the saving, atoning, rescuing, redemptive work of his labors. He worked and then he rested, sitting. And now we find he is sitting at the right hand of the majesty and high. If you read the book of Hebrews, it says he sat down. Why did he sit down? Unlike all the other priests who are always standing, it's because it was finished. And now he rests from that labor. And now he has a, he has a role in heaven as he intercedes for us and he rules over all his church. So we rest first since it's finished. If Old Testament believers worked, think of this pattern, they worked six days looking at the end of the week for rest. In fact, they were, they were looking for the dawning. They would look and say, oh, is, the, is it the dawn of this new, this hope that's coming that would come? Well, now we as New Testament Christians, we begin our week by resting from our labors because he has come. We, li- we rest in the light of something that has already happened. Jesus has come. The Lord of the Sabbath is here. His work is complete. I love what one commentator says. Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought out the Lord's day from the grave on that resurrection morning. So what does this mean for us? We keep the commandment, a fourth commandment, in a different way in the light of Jesus and what he has done and how he's fulfilled this. 
In fact, we learn in Colossians 2, 16 and 17 that even all these Sabbaths in the Old Testament, they were like a shadow, and Jesus is the substance. Now that the substance is here, Jesus is here, what does that mean for 2,020 Americans? And for that matter, any, any Christians in this day and age? I would say that in one sense, we are not bound like the Old Testament bound us. There is no death penalty for those that break the Sabbath. In fact, is the Sabbath, I mean, is it wrong to work in any seventh day? Or we could make an argument the first day, the Lord's day, and apply it in that way. I would say, from the pattern in the New Testament, and the way they practice in the New Testament, I, I think we see at least three principles I want to give to you of how we learn to apply as we rest and look in the heart of what this commandment means. And more than anything, though, I want you and I to say, to dig into this fourth commandment, learn from the church, learn what God's word says, learn that Jesus has already come and lived out this Sabbath keeping, and now how do we keep the Sabbath ultimately is by looking to him. But I want you to think about what we learn about God right now from this fourth commandment. So I just, I just, they're going to go really quickly, but I want you to see how the commandment instructs us about God. And then I want you to see three applications of this commandment. Three things about God from this fourth commandment. The commandments are life to us. When we read these, these commandments, let's dig into them. Let's press into them to say, God, what do you want me to know about you so that I can rest in you and love you more? They reveal a God who wants to teach us about himself and that we may trust in him and worship him and love him. So if we reflect on the Sabbath, both in Eden, Genesis 2, or in Exodus 20, or Jesus fulfilling it, what do we want? What can we learn? Here are at least three things. One, brothers and sisters, or if you're a wel- visitor here, and I don't, I don't know you, but you're welcome here. God is a creating and saving and keeping God. We learn, if we just study the fourth commandment, we should stop and go, God is a creating God. He's a saving God. He's a keeping God. And that, that is, we just worship that. He will hold me fast. He is my keeper. He, he takes care of me. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And as we ponder the Sabbath, As you think about this fourth commandment, would you today just give God thanks and would you remember and would you trust God that he is um, your maker, he is your savior, and he is your keeper? As he led his people out of slavery and they were reminded the fourth commandment, we are to learn that he is a saving God that is to be worshiped. And he keeps us. He kept them in the wilderness and he provided manna for them. And he provides and takes care of us. We rest. He doesn't rest. Here's the, here's the reality is. The Psalm 121 says, he neither, neither slumbers nor sleep. The point is, he's working for our good on our behalf. You say, well, he rested on the seventh day. That means he rested from creation. It was a picture just for our understanding. But he didn't rest from his divine labors for us. God is always working to care for us. He's working all things together for our good. He is our savior and keeper. And so 
We think of the Sabbath, we go, oh, rest in him. He is my maker. He is my savior. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is God and we are his people. Which leads to the second point. As I ponder the second, fourth commandment, I have to think not only is he our creating, saving, keeping God, God is our God. If we've come to him in Christ. The Sabbath was meant to say, you're my people. Remember, the, notice, have you been reading the Ten Commandments? Have you noticed the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God, the Lord, your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt? Take the name of the Lord, your God in vain. You should not make any graven images because the Lord, your God is a jealous God. All these things, your God is meant for us to go, He's not just a generic God for just everybody in a certain way. There's a special your, just like she's my wife. You're my wife, Molly. You would say to your family members, you're my family. You're my church. If you, we covenant together. And, and God was showing to his people when he gave them this fourth commandment, you're mine. You're mine. I take care of you. See, you're resting. All the nations might be laboring. You're resting. And, and, and while you rest, you can't make any profit in the fields. But I provide for you. I'm your care. I am, I am your savior. I'm your maker. I'm your keeper. And you're mine. Oh, I pray that as we ponder the commandment and we ponder the applying of the fourth commandment, we just, that we would personalize and treasure the fact that God says, you're mine. In fact, I'm your father, and you're my children, and he's brought us into his family. And so, so much so that for us as Christians in the New Testament, there's a prophecy of our day in Jeremiah 32, 38. He says, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. And I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing them good. And I will put the fear of me in their heart and they shall not turn away from me and rejoice. And I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in the land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. Our God, there's not just a God out there that happens to be a maker and he's a savior and a keeper, but is he mine? In this case, he's mine. And with all his heart, he's caring for us. If you are in Christ Jesus, and I'm going to say something about that in a minute, with all God's heart, he's caring for you. Even in the moments when you don't feel like he's caring for you. He's caring for you, and we're going to see that in the verses we memorize in Fighterverse in the next two months. He is working all things together for good. Because he didn't spare Jesus. He won't spare one good thing for you because he loves you. You are his. And last, we learn about God, that God desires that we know and trust him. God desires that we know and trust him. One of the reasons the commandment was given to us is so that we would gather and we would stop and we would listen to him. We would gather to worship. We'd have the word of God read, preached, sung, seen in the Lord's table. And we would remind each other of who we are because we have a way of forgetting who we are. So 
So God desires that we know him and trust him. I'm going to say more on that as I finish up with these last three points. So how do we apply it? How do we put it in practice, I think, the fourth commandment? I'm not going to hear say to you it's wrong to, get a jo- to happen to have a job or a shift that works into Sunday. There's some jobs and there's some necessary jobs that are, that are absolutely necessary. And I'm thankful that people are working hard on the, on, on the Lord's day. But I do think with each one of these, we should prayerfully ask, how can I most honor God and follow these three principles, even if it meant I need to make adjustments in my life and in my schedule? In fact, a lot of times it's going to mean that I need to adjust my life, my agendas, my priorities to be a testimony to the world and to God who I am. Here are just the three, three things. Prioritize Lord's Day worship as the best day of the week. Oh, I, I believe that God is honored and we, f- we live out and apply the fourth commandment when we prioritize Lord's Day worship as the best day of the week. It's the Lord's Day, wor- and, and I just put a word, it's Lord's Day worship. We find in the book of Acts that in the early church, they got together on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, and it was a gift to them. They set it aside. In fact, a lot of them, do you realize they were slaves? And so they had to work on Sunday. It wasn't a rest day in their culture yet. And so they worked all day, and that's why they would gather at night, on Sunday night, on the Lord's Day. But they made it a priority. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And they had all things in common. They wouldn't want to do anything else. It was a gift from God. It's who they were. It strengthened and gave them life. This is where the first three commandments come in. This, this first application, the way we feed our love and worship to God is we say the Lord's Day matters to us. We gather together. It's the best of the week. I want my children to know that. I want others to know it. Why I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than to be with God's people in a place together, assembling, hearing God's words preached, worshiping together, growing in faith, and learning to know one another so that we can together care for each other and partner in the world to help others come and see this glorious God. You see, every day, every Sunday is an Easter. I grew up, I shouldn't say I grew up, years ago as our kids were really little, I would on Sunday or Saturday night say to them, what kind of day is this as I was looking towards the Sunday? And they would answer, it is the Lord's Day. And I would say, why? Because he rose from the dead on this day. Next question, what kind of day is it? It is glorious and festive to the Lord. The Old Testament Hebrews wanted to celebrate the good work of the Lord, and so must we. Do we prioritize it? There's a lot of questions I could ask. Do we love the gathering of his people? Do we we arrange other things so that we can gather with our people to hear his word, to pray and prepare our hearts, and say, this day we gather because we need our souls to be fed and nourished Oh, I pray that we would do more. And I do believe that we would benefit our souls and our children and one another in this meeting room view the gathering together for the Lord's Day worship as the best day of the week. I guess I would like to ask, would this church continue to exist very healthily if everyone had your same worship habits on the Lord's Day? For some, yes, and for some, no. But God would want us to prioritize the Lord's Day worship. See that pattern in the New Testament. Secondly, we accept our 
The second thing I just want us to see is when we reflect on the fourth commandment, you want to be a fourth commandment applier. There is a sense in which we learn from these commandments, God wants us to rest. God wants us to accept. And what do we do when we rest? We accept our limits and we trust God. And it's humble. God, I need you. I'm, God, you don't need to rest. You, you showed that pattern in, in Eden, but you don't need to rest. You're always working. You neither slumber nor sleep. You're always caring for me. I have to rest every night. I go to bed. And I go to bed and I can't work. I get nothing done while I'm sleeping. And you're always working. And God, I, I got I to rest. We need to have our Sabbaths in our lives or else God's going to force us into a forced Sabbath. Whether it be through illness or some other way in which he says, you want to you be humbled? You want to realize, yes, you can't. You don't hold the world together, but I do. You rest trusting me. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds a house, our labor is in vain. Unless the watchman watches over the city, our watching is in vain. We learn from this commandment, we are to be a people that embrace our rests. A great day to do that is on the Sunday afterwards and go and rest together as a family. Enjoy together as a family. Make sure that we don't run constantly without stopping to rest and say, God, I trust you. I have to rest. Thank God, thank you, God, that you don't rest. I humbly look to you. The last application that I would say is, and most importantly, remember always that Christ completed the work and rest in him alone. This is foundational for the first two and all, the, all that I've said before. The Sabbath needs to be written on our heart in us who truly put our trust in Christ alone. You see, the living out of the Sabbath ultimately is for us to run to the Lord of the Sabbath who on the sixth day completed his work and rested on the Sabbath and rose from the dead in order for everyone who puts their trust in this Lord and Savior. He can cease from all his labors. You don't have to work for your salvation because he did. You do not have, you can't work for your salvation because he is the only one who completes it. And we rest from our labors in that we fall down before him and we put our trust in him alone. We need to embrace a gospel dependency that says, I need what you did for me. Jesus gathered people together and he said, come to me, all you who labor are in heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Look to me, take my yoke upon me, you, and learn of me, for I am gently, gentle and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There could be, you're here this morning and you're not yet his people. You can become his people by resting from your efforts because he, he completed it all, except his free gift, of what he did in dying on the cross for your sins. But you see, every Lord's Day is a reminder. Every fourth, this fourth commandment of the Sabbath, therefore the, the Lord's Day is a reminder, oh, I get up, I get to worship God's people, and I get to depend on what he did for me on the cross. I don't go to church to earn my salvation. I already got, that's been taken care of on the cross, but I go there because I, I love him and he gave himself for me. And I, I want to trust him more, and I need to trust him more, and I want to serve one another. And, and I want to rest, resting in what he 
because he has done it for me. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us as your people to be people that are absolutely gospel dependent, looking to Jesus, our great rest. There are many that failed to enter into the rest because they did not look and believe. Oh God, I pray that we would be a people that with our actions, we would teach our children, we would teach others. And we would love the worship of your people together because you have done it all for us. You have completed it. You have finished it for us. And therefore, we gather and we rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.